Hi, welcome to Sidewalk Talk. I'm Steve Fortunato, founder of Shovel the Sidewalk. We are a, uh, a marketing firm in Buffalo, New York. We um, create brands and advertising, utilizing uh, uh, authentic storytelling, uh, and we focus on small businesses. And so one of the things we're doing now is, is, is this podcast. It's, uh, it's an opportunity to meet with small business people uh, across Western New York and, or, or anybody uh, that's influential in Western New York where uh, we can help tell their story. And maybe you out there, whether it's uh, th through the podcast itself or through YouTube, um, you, you may uh, pick up a tidbit of information that you can utilize some way in your business or in your life. And uh, today we have uh, Dr. Adnan Sharif. No, yep, got, you it got, right? it, you got it right. There you that go. That was a tough one. Yeah. <laughs> I'm just going to call him Doc from now on. I can handle Sharif, there right? Dr. Sharif. Uh, and we're with the, he's with the Amherst Medical Associates. So it's primary care. You're a primary care physician. You're a primary right. care group. Nine thousand patients. That's right. Uh, that's a lot. Yep. All right. So, um, but let's get real interesting. Before we started talking to you a little bit about your your, your background, um, you're not from here. That's you're, right. So Tanzania. Yep. Explain. Uh, uh, let's help people out. I know they can Google it, whatever, but let, yeah. let's let them know where it is and how you ended up in Buffalo, New York. Yeah, so Tanzania is a country located on the east coast of Africa, right on the Indian Ocean there. I always tell people, if you think of Africa on a map, find Madagascar, which is a big island, and just go inwards and you'll hit Tanzania there. Also the land of Kilimanjaro, so mm -hmm. folks know Kilimanjaro. Mm -hmm. Uh, but we moved to the U.S. in 1993. Um, I was a young kid then. Uh, my dad, he's an internal medicine doctor and decided to uproot us for the sake of education. And uh, so we ended up in the U.S. I uh, lived in Queens for a year uh, and then my dad matched in Buffalo for residency, which is how we ended up here. So uh, that's kind of our transition from Tanzania to here. Uh, but pretty much grew up in Buffalo after that. And so you, with your dad's background, hey, so you grew up and you went to school in Williamsville. And, That's right. Yeah. Um, it, how, what did you see or what do you know about your dad adjusting language-wise? Was it a problem? Yeah. Or it should have been a problem for you. Yeah, you grew really, up with it. Yeah, you know, it really but, wasn't much of a problem. Mm -hmm. um, so my parents both went to school actually in Pakistan even before that. Mm -hmm. uh, and they both went to uh, kind of a Christian school there. They spoke English. That was the primary language. Uh, and so English was always part of our household. We always grew up speaking English. So it really wasn't much of an issue uh, at all transitioning over. Uh, but inside our home, you know, we would hear Gujarati, you would hear mm. a little bit of Swahili. So there was always some other languages floating around too. How many languages can you speak? Uh, so fluently, I would say English. Spanish, mm. I can get by. Mm -hmm. uh, Gujarati, I understand fully. And then Urdu a little bit here and there. Oh. Yeah. All right, so you're now um, I'm assuming that your, your father and his career path had quite a bit of influence on on you. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, he was always uh, you know, a sort of mentor to me in that regard. So I was always exposed to medicine from a young age. Uh, I always joked that my first job was actually in this very office when they first set it up, uh, back when electronic medical records were first starting. So I used to come from school when I was a sophomore. Uh, and scan in all those old paper charts into the electronic system there at that point. Um, and then kind of went transitioned on from there to college and then did the pre-medical route and ultimately medicine. So, but you knew 
when did you know I'm going to get somehow into medicine? Yeah, yeah so uh, I think that exposure and the desire to help people in some regard was always there. Um, whether it was through some sort of retail industry, uh, even the food industry. I worked at Cold Stone Creamery when they were <laughs> still around here. Uh, and so there was always that desire to be around people in some way, shape, or form. In college, I ended up becoming an EMT uh, and worked as an in the ambulance corps at Stony Brook. And that was really my first true patient exposure, and, and that solidified it, on, you know, that I wanted to pursue medicine. Um, so, but that exposure was always there in some way, shape, or form. Right. I mean, yeah. it was in your family. It's That's in right. So, all right, then you knew once you, you did the EMT thing, and you said, yeah. did you, uh, you, did you, how did you determine, because there's a lot of different areas you can go in in medicine. Yeah. I know you have a, a couple of, of brothers that are in medicine as well. Right. But all of you are doing kind of different things. That's right. What made yeah. you choose what you're doing? Um, so in, when I was an EMT, uh, I really liked kind of the emergency uh, care, uh, critical care type of route. Mm -hmm. When I went into medical school, I always thought that was what I was going to do. Uh, and then when I started doing my rotations, I really enjoyed the continuity of care with the patients that we saw in primary care. Uh, you really build those relationships long term, and you're there as some sort of advisor, you know, there for the patient, even from a medical standpoint or a life standpoint there too. You really build that trust with them. Uh, and so I decided that I wanted to pursue primary care. Uh, and then I realized I didn't like one organ system enough uh, or too much, so I wanted a little bit of everything and, and a little bit of every age group, which is where family medicine came into play. So to somebody that is a high school student or they have a high school student in their family or maybe they're going to college and, yeah. and they're thinking, eh, something in, in, in medical, who, who do you think that person is that connects into family, into family medicine? Yeah. Who, who, what should they look out for? That, like, yeah, that... That makes sense for me. I think uh, you know family medicine and primary care in general. You really get uh, a lot of longevity with your patients, so they become an extension of your own family. And so, if you really like that way of practicing or that connection, uh, I think primary care is the right niche for that person. Um, you know, I think of myself. My daughter was born a few months ago, and the number of phone calls and the number of cards we got really were a, an example of the relationship that we had with our patients. Uh, that they really see themselves as part of our family too, and so you know, primary care. Uh, yes, that's one part of it, but then also prevention of further disease down the line, healthy lifestyle and living. That's all embedded into primary care. Uh, and so those type of aspects in medicine can point towards uh, someone towards that direction. You know, uh, one of our clients on the agency side is uh, Western Dermatology and Dr. Dr. Uh, Nazareth. And one of the things that uh, really brings him, uh, separates him from a lot of different people in the medical field is his bedside manner. And uh, it comes across here as well. And he does it. It's natural, but it's conscious, and I feel like it's the same thing here. Is is that my? I, mean, I know your bedside manner is great, but is that conscious or is it like it's just part I think of it, your? I think it flows. You know, at the end of the day, uh, these patients you're going to have to see them again. You know, and so you want to build a good impression from the get go. You want to be understanding from the get go there too, but also. Uh, relay the right messages to them at the right time. You know, there's always, if they come in that day and are having a bad day, but in your back of your mind, you want to tell them about a screening that needs to be done, you somehow have to embed it in. You can't just, you know, shove it right into their face. So I think that understanding of the patients, meeting them where they are, uh, really does fall into primary care every single day. It's interesting, too, what you're, the things you're saying 
I've never thought of this until until just now. Uh, we do um, a lot of uh, recruitment advertising for clients in a tight job market. And uh, when it comes to, there's a lot of people that need help in the customer service. A lot of right. businesses need help in customer service. Um, and it's, it's, it's tough to find the right people uh, that you can't have a bad day. You might have a bad day, but the customer can't, can't feel it, right? Exactly. They can't know it. Exactly. I feel like... Uh, you could the way you talk you could literally run a customer service operation oh, thank you <laughs> you know yeah is, is that you know I will I will credit that to um, when I was in undergrad I uh, worked as an orientation leader uh, at Stony Brook and so that uh, type of role for me really I was had to set a good first impression for the school you're an ambassador for the school as well um, and so you learn that whatever baggage you have you got to leave it aside these folks are there to get guidance from you and so being able to be that coach for them and help them through that process uh, really gave me an understanding of okay you, you know you can't bring yourself into the room every single time there's a right place for that uh, but then also you have to meet your client where they are to or the customer where they are uh, and so in healthcare that becomes even more critical because oftentimes you're trying to convince someone of a medication or convince them of a screening uh, and really, you have to hit them with the right messages uh, and make sure that they are on the same boat as you and understand why you're trying to accomplish this for them. At the end of the day, it's about the patient ultimately. It's not about the physician. Um, so you really have to relay that message in an effective fashion. Uh, how important is empathy? Empathy is very important, very, very important. I think empathy um, plays a huge role in building trust with the patient. Uh, patients are also your referral base. So, you know, if they see that they've had a good experience with you, they're able to connect with you, uh, they will refer more patients to you. Uh, and now in primary care, there's no shortage of patients. Uh, but at the end of the day, you want to have like-minded patients or you want to have an extension of your own patient base. Uh, and it, it's fun taking care of families. You understand what grandma's going through. You understand what, you know, the daughter's going through. Uh, and so you're able to connect even better every single time you meet the patient. It literally marketing one-on-one yeah. it, it literally is that's exciting to hear that I mean there's a lot of businesses and there's a lot of people in the medical field that I don't that I don't think get that right it's very true and, and unfortunately sometimes we're victim to the healthcare system and how we are trained to practice uh, some practices are volume based where they are incentivized to see as many patients during the day uh, recently in primary care, there's been a shift towards what we call value-based reimbursement. So uh, we don't have to necessarily see 40, 50 patients in one day, uh, but we're able to spend more time with our patient and really build that relationship, especially with the advent of technology and being able to communicate with your doctor electronically. I think that's really allowed more time for us to spend in the room with our patients, but also meet all their needs. Has one of your roles here, you're, you're a younger guy, um, has one of your roles been to make sure the practice is, uh, how do you put it, modern? Or, yeah, uh, and, and I'm lucky because I think this practice was already modern by the time I got here, but we've become even more modern uh, itself. Uh, this was actually one of the first practices in the area to use the electronic medical record. Uh, so, you know, all the other doctors in the practice uh, are well embedded into it and know how to use it very well. Uh, recently, with as we dive further into the digital age, patients are wanting to connect with their doctor on different platforms, not just in the office. So we've adjusted to accommodate that uh, as well. But I tend to be the guinea pig a lot for some of those uh, modalities. Uh, but uh, I do think it's being uh, uh, accepted across the board for sure. So you're a DO, yes. not an MD. Yeah. Explain. 
Yeah, so uh, DO and MD are two different variations of medical doctors. Uh, DO stands for Doctor of Osteopathic Medicine. Uh, it was a school of thought that started in the late 1800s, uh, and initially the premise was based more off the connection between your, your mind and body and spirit. And uh, so there was a lot of uh, therapies that involved manipulation and of the musculoskeletal system uh, and that was the thinking at that time uh, that it could impact the rest of your physical health and in some ways it definitely does uh, and what it turned into was more of a holistic approach so really uh, being patient-centric uh, first as opposed to disease-centric uh, and then um, adapting your treatment modalities to that passion of thinking now, nowadays in school, you really learn the same concepts. Uh, you know, you learn about diabetes, you learn about cancer, you learn about coronary disease. Uh, but what uh, the upper hand that DOs, I think, get, we are trained in manipulation. So I always tell my patients that's a combination of treatments like physical therapy and chiropractic medicine all molded into one. Uh, but the, the focus really is the patient first uh, itself more than anything else. Do you, when you say you're trained in manipulation, do you perform that or you say, I'm, I'm very aware of it and I realize what it can do for you and I'm going to refer you to yeah. this person to do So it. I don't perform it myself uh, regularly. Uh, I am aware of what it entails. Uh, there is a fellowship that DOs can do in neuromuscular medicine. Mm -hmm. uh, and so one of my colleagues, he did that fellowship and he's the only one practicing in the area specifically in that field itself, which is his referral niche. Um, but it is something that I think patients are more amenable to, especially when there are such uh, an adverse array of musculoskeletal ailments. I think patients are looking for alternative modes of therapy as opposed to just medicine. You know, so. Right, and I think it, it just reminds me of chiropractic exactly. now. It's like chiropractic is becoming more acceptable. Um, but you know what, it, 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 it has uh, that, uh, you know, I think s maybe some, some people in the older generation, it's, it's got that um, there's some, well, I would say some myths that aren't myths. Right, exactly. <laughs> right? And, exactly. and so Very it true. sticks. Very true. And in the, you know, and when someone becomes a DO and they graduate medical school, they can go into any field of medicine. So, you know, I have colleagues that are uh, neurosurgeons that are DOs, colleagues that are dermatologists that are DOs, primary care, you know, that are DOs. So you can really go into any medical field you wish. There's no restriction in that regard. And you practice practice side by side with other MDs as well. Hmm. Is, it, is, is DO becoming more... Um, Common? Yeah, I think it's a, you know, as there's a need for more doctors in this country, it is a growing field. Uh, so there are more and more DO schools that are opening, you know, every year. Uh, so, but I would still say majority of the graduates in the U.S. are MDs, uh, but there is a larger growing percentage of DOs in, in the country for sure. So as, as, as a whole, um, we won't get into insurances and everything, and, uh, but, but medical care itself, um, are, are we heading in the right direction? People are living longer, so we have to be doing something right. Yeah, you know, I think uh, a lot of people living longer, yes, has been to um, inventions and progress in medicine. Uh, I will say healthcare as an industry, there's a lot of good and bad about it. I think accessibility to care in this country, especially for acute care, is very good. If you need you know, a surgery immediately or you need a cardiac procedure immediately, we're very good at that. Uh, we do have a lot of well-trained specialists uh, in this country. 
However, I feel like we are lacking in prevention. I think when we compare ourselves to other uh, countries that are first world, uh, our model is slightly upside down in the sense that we don't put prevention first, we put specialty first. So when someone has a skin condition, for example, they think of the dermatologist right off the bat. They don't think of, let me see the primary care doctor. They may actually know, you know what I'm dealing with and they'll save me a specialist visit at the end of the day. Um, so in that sense, you know, that our system is set up in that, uh, in that fashion. Uh, when we talk about accessibility to care, uh, I think we are hopefully making strides as far as gaining access to all different uh, patients, regardless of their socioeconomic status, and then and allowing them to have equal access to care. Unfortunately, we still are privatized in that mm -hmm. regard, so you know some folks won't be able to see a specific doctor based on that uh, doctor's relationship. Um, but you know, hopefully, I, I am optimistic in that regard. I think there's a more uh, of an awareness that there is uh, a need to fix the system. Do you think uh, on the preventative side, is it uh, research, based? like we're not doing enough research or are we not, uh, fill me in, uh, repeat that again, or are we not putting enough emphasis to utilize your primary care physician or listen to your primary care physician yeah. to, to be more preventative in whatever it is, like prostate cancer, getting checked once a year yeah, and stuff I, like I that. I think patients, uh, when there's messaging that they see, uh, a lot of it is related towards the greatest, latest and greatest treatments. Mm -hmm. uh, so when we see ads for a different medication on TV, yeah. it's of things that may be for a specific niche of patients, but those medications are very costly mm -hmm. you know, as well. Uh, we don't have as much messaging about you know healthy eating or a healthy lifestyle, uh, or even medications that could be preventative for a patient long term. Uh, I think the funding is really what drives a lot of the messaging that gets relayed to patients. Uh, but prevention is also hard work. You know, I think we're in a day and age where people want answers and uh, they want fixes right away. Uh, whereas prevention really involves a lot of hard effort for the long term yeah. itself. So it's a different mindset. Well, you, 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 a touch point for me here is when you're talking about that we don't promote healthy lifestyle enough. Um, I, obviously, we're, we're, people are very aware in this country and around the world that smoking is bad for you, right? And I realize it's addictive and some people can't help it. But do we realize, as, I mean, it is amazing how many people die yeah. uh, because they don't eat correctly. That's right. And some of it yeah. is, is so sick and they can't afford to eat properly maybe, but they don't know. Yeah. And I mean, we're, we're and when I, there, there would be a, it, it just kills me marketing wise when I when I see you know fast food or a high sugar carbonated drink uh, um, uh, being a sponsor for an athletic event which is about health right. it's like it's, that's not healthy it's completely counterintuitive it's, it's killing you it's literally slowly killing people that's right that's right, and uh, it's one of those where um, I think in this country we're all about the glitz and glam, and mm -hmm. so when we are exposed to messages that look exciting and fun, we're more apt towards to go towards those as opposed to something that's more fearful per se. Uh, you know, everyone wants to have a good time, but no one wants to worry about the bad effects that good time may have on them long term. Well, I mean, it, it, it comes down to positioning too. So, it, uh, what a good time? You know, we all, we believe in. We focus everything in our messaging on, on an emotional connection, right? right? So, right. Um, yeah, you're right. It's a good time. Do this, whatever. But um, you know, a, a, an emotional connection on the other end could be instead of uh, the labor that goes into 
you know, planning a seven-day week for meals and taking yeah. the time to do that is the long-term effect of it, which would be what's an emotional, I'm just thinking, this is just off the cuff here, what's an emotional yeah. connection there? It would be, wow, look at that, grandma and grandpa are alive, and they're with their grandkids, and right. they're with their kids, and everybody's healthy and having a good time uh, heading somewhere. So there's an emotional connection, how'd they get there? Yeah. They got there by doing this, just like all these people in these commercials or whatever, these advertisements are having a good time doing things that maybe are not healthy for That's them. Right. These people could be having a good time doing things that are healthy for yeah. them. Yeah, and unfortunately I don't think a lot of people realize that until they're much older and so some of those unhealthy habits have already formed no doubt. By, by that point. Uh, but I think when we, you know, relay messaging to, to patients specifically, uh, incorporating their own goals into that messaging becomes very important. So if the goal is, uh, I want to live as long as grandma and grandpa and be as healthy as them, mm -hmm. let me emulate their lifestyle. Uh, as opposed to, you know, I don't want cancer like Aunt Susie, but I'm still smoking, you know, in that <laughs> regard. So sometimes there is there's disconnect there. We know so much more now. I mean, for me, growing, I'm a lot older than you, but for me growing up, you know, you drink a can of pop every day. Yeah. Um, and and it maybe maybe we knew, but it was suppressed, you know. And now, you know, that's just, not only is your dentist happy when you're not doing that, but it was, right. your dentist speaks, like, it's too much sugar, man, it's not good for you. But it's, we know, so I, to me, the younger generation has an even better opportunity right. because there's so much more knowledge about nutrition. That's true. You know, just healthy living style, you know, healthy living, getting, the proper sleep. I used to think I'd be in college, we'd go two hours, whatever. The long-term effects of that are two hours of sleep, that's terrible. Right, right. And I, th you I do think that uh, newer generation knows a lot more and mm. tends to be a lot more responsible mm -hmm. in that regard. Uh, but we still still see pockets of patients that maybe I'm biased because I see a lot of the unhealthy uh, that really resemble what their family does as well. So, mm -hmm. you know, if you see a dad's a smoker, the son tends to be a smoker, the daughter tends to be a smoker. If the dad's obese and has diabetes, the son tends to be, you know, headed towards that same direction there as well. Uh, unfortunately, with a lot of good information comes a lot of bad information there as well. So we have access to everything at our fingertips now, but a lot of, oftentimes those messages tend to be myths in nature. So oftentimes we find ourselves that we're uh, encouraging uh, good, healthy habits, but then we're also trying to dispel a lot of the uh, myths that are thrown around there as well. Must be good feeling when you see um, what goes from one generation to the next to the next in, in, within a family and if you're able to break that. Yes. Yeah, and, I, and sometimes it takes a bad event to break mm -hmm. that too where, uh, you know, someone has cancer and passes away from cancer and we realize that it's related to uh, a habit in their lifestyle and then the rest of the family all drops that habit as well. Um, unfortunately, it is a, sometimes a bad event that causes a good outcome, you know, at the end of the day, but I guess, you know, that it really is the process of life. You learn from your mistakes. So personally, you had a baby recently. Congratulations. Yep. It's you. your first. But your wife is not from Buffalo. While you uh, grew up here, your wife is from the West Coast, right. out by San Francisco. Yeah, that's so right. So how has she adjusted? Uh, so she's adjusted. Uh, you know, I would say that she has welcomed the different uh, style of living in Buffalo. Definitely more conducive to a family lifestyle, I would say. Uh, the climate, you know, she's still getting the, mm -hmm. the ropes with that. Uh, but she does uh, admit that the community is extremely friendly and welcoming. Uh, there is a diversity of people here as well. Maybe not as much as the Bay Area, but it still exists in Buffalo. Uh, she's become a Sabres fan. I convinced <laughs> her to not be a Sharks fan anymore, so that was a, a win for me there. Mm -hmm. um, but, you know, she's definitely adjusting. It is a different part of the country, a different population. 
but we are raising our daughter here. So. That's awesome. Um, and you're going to stay? Plan on staying here long term. Yeah, I've, I've built too many good relationships to yeah. leave now, for sure. And one of the things about primary care is you get more family time. Right. right? That's right. Yeah, I'm home for dinner every evening, which is uh, one of the reasons why I chose this field. Uh, you really get to set your own schedule, especially in the outpatient setting, uh, and you live the life that you want to live. So um, I'm on call once every six, seven weeks, and for us, that's really outpatient call. I don't have to go into the hospital at all. Uh, and to be able to come home in the evening to my family was one of my goals long-term, which is why I, I chose primary care. It allows me to do that. That's awesome. So anyone that's thinking long-term saying, I'd like to... You know, because I, I know surgeons. I know how difficult. I remember the yeah. one, one buddy. Uh, he's he's a surgeon over at uh, at Roswell, and and uh, he has a passion for what he does. And he we we got together. We got together for a Bills game, and he had saved someone's life the night before. But yeah, he was exhausted. Oh yeah, it's tiring. You know, I mean, I, mean, I give him credit. In general, yeah. Yeah. I would say any field in healthcare is going to be tiring, and it's not just physically tiring; it can be emotionally tiring too. Uh, you know, you hear people's uh, complaints all day and really help them guide through the healthcare system. And that can be tiring in itself, but at the end of the day, it's very important to pick what values you want to accomplish and focus on those first and then build your career around them. So, Doc, um, Amherst Medical Associates has 9,000 patients. That's a lot. Yeah. Uh, and they're, they're covered well. Are you accepting or no? Yeah, so uh, in this practice, uh, three of us are accepting uh, new patients. Uh, and some of the older doctors, they have closed their panels as they eye retirement over the next few years. So at the moment, I'm definitely accepting patients. Yeah. All right. Well, congratulations to you, Doc. Um, we appreciate you being on the show. Um, before we wrap up, a thanks to our sponsor, Vandalay Industries. Uh, George and his, his team do a great job, and we appreciate them helping us out. That's it now for Sidewalk Talk. Good job, Doc. You, nice to meet Appreciate you. It. Until next time.